When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Well, I, I'm not surrounded by snow and I am not ill, so I think that makes me better than both of you. Yes, I woke up to about four or five inches of snow in the garden and Guy woke up to some sort of Icelandic flu. So, not ideal for either of us, but you are moving house, which definitely makes it worse. <laughs> That's yes, definitely that, worse. That was this morning's job, so currently sitting down doing this for work is, is the rest. Moving house is the most horrible thing in the world. Um, we are here today to talk about Nottingham Forest and Liverpool's upcoming game against them on Saturday. However, that does not warrant an entire podcast of our time. So, Carol Matchett, we're going to talk about right backs quickly because we have a great right back in Trent, but he is out of contract next summer. There's also the possibility that he might move into a midfield role. So we may we may need to look for a new right back. Now, I know some people will say, oh, we've got Connor Bradley. Connor Bradley is a really good prospect, as is Calvin Ramsey. But we can't go into next season with them as first choice and ask them to play 45 games. In all likelihood, given the two... Most likely successors for Jurgen, Xabi Alonso and Ruben Amorim. 
we're probably looking for more of a right wing back than a right back because both of them prepare, prefer to play a back three. So I thought if we looked through the list of, say, the most valuable right backs and just pick out a couple to talk about. So Trent is the most valuable right back in the world, according to the Boffins of Transfer Market. Number two on the list is Ashraf Hakimi. Now, he's an exceptionally good player and has a lot of experience playing as a wing back. He does maybe have some issues in his personal life that would be calls to pass over him. But what would you think of him as a replacement for Trent if PSG were open to a sale? Uh, footballistically, I would happily walk a wheelbarrow to Paris, pick him up and cart him back to Merseyside. Um, I, I think as a offensive-minded fullback, he is fullback, wingback, whatever you want to call them, even just a midfielder sometimes. Uh, I think he's probably the best in terms of being wide and staying wide. Uh, not always entirely diligent defensively, but it's so hard to judge players defensively and teamwork-wise at that club. It really is because there's just a wild culture still where there are some people who are responsible for attacking and winning games and some people who are responsible for doing the work for them. Um, never quite sure where the attacking fullbacks fit into it. It's a bit better under... Uh, Luis Enrique from that perspective but even so I don't think that you can completely judge him just by virtue of being at PSG to be honest so I think he's a great player but like you say there are, there are on and off pitch concerns I think to to take into account as well Yeah and the fact that he's at PSG like he's already at one of the elite clubs so and he's probably being very well paid both on the books and off the books so he's probably not realistic um, one who is realistic and has a buyout clause this summer is Jeremy Frimpong of Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, now, he is purely a wing-back. Wing With Hakimi, you can play him as a full-back, and we've seen him do it for his national team, and, he, and he's very comfortable there. We see him do it for PSG. We see him do it, we've seen him do it for Dortmund, etc. as well. Uh, Frimpong, though, is kind of the epitome of a modern wing-back. He is uber-attack-minded. He is incredibly effective, or at least has been this season. The big, well, one of the big things with him is as well, is he, he counts as a homegrown player because he was in Manchester City's academy for a number of years. And then he obviously played for Celtic before going to to Leverkusen. What would you make of Frimpong, who's really exploded this season under Alonso? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Frimpong. I, I really liked him. Um, even earlier in his career. And then when he went there, he was quite clearly uh, ready for a much, much bigger step up. Um, I think the only thing which would potentially negate how much I would like to be interested in him is his price tag. Depends on what that is. I think he's probably of a style, of an age, of a reputation, and of, uh, let's say, a game-to-game -game kind of player where you can rotate him a little bit as well you know if it was going to be a case of still bringing along Bradley but you need someone who can play there and further upfield in a 3-4-3 because he's played on the wing before as well um, then that's probably a really good option to consider So according to uh, social media influencer extraordinaire Fabrizio Romano his release clause is 40 million euro this summer and can be paid in installments so I mean that's probably fair value it's 34 million for a player of his talent and his age 
Yeah. Doesn't seem prohibitive. No. Um, the next one I'd look at here, I mean, Rico Lewis won't be for sale to us anyway. Um, Tino Livermento. I know Toon only bought him last summer and they did pay big money for him. But given the challenges they're about to face with profit and sustainability, and we've already heard, you know, Eddie Howe talk about how they're going to have to look to move some pieces around. Do you think there's any possibility they consider that? Because I'm a big, big fan of, of Livermento. I think the only way they consider that is if you're paying a profit on what they paid for him anyway. Um, well, if they had him, they'll have had him one year in the summer only. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. So uh, let's just assume he signed a five year deal. So in a very, very broad speaking accountancy terms, they've got a 20% profit on him if they sell him for. Uh, what they paid for and basically you know amortization cost if it's a, a flat rate if it's more at the beginning then they would be able to declare more of a profit if it's a, a sliding scale uh, amortization so I don't know how they do it at all um, I wouldn't want to pay too much above what they went for him especially like I, I like him as well I think he's a good player and he's a different kind of profile given how strong he is he's definitely a fullback capable player mm. uh, but he does also have a couple of injuries behind him now and he hasn't been a first-choice regular for an entire Premier League season, from what I can remember, because of injuries and competition. Yeah, because he tore his ACL in the season at Southampton when he was kind of he, he kind of established himself as the right back, and then tore the ACL. And then he was out for a long time with that. And then with Toon, he's been kind of the backup to Trippier, and he's rotated a bit with Dan Byrne recently, but he's not the first-choice left back either. So definitely one who's who's never really played a heavy amount of games. I mean, if you're comparing Frimpong for forty million euros and him for forty million pounds, I know which one I'm going for. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd agree on that. Um, I am going to pass over Pedro Poro because I just don't think Spurs would consider a sale. But he is spectacularly good as a as a right wing back. He was out- outrageous in that Sporting team under Ruben Amram, but I just don't see that Spurs would consider a sale. Um, Vanderson of Monaco is the next one that pops up here, uh, in my view. Um, 22 years of age. He's been at Monaco now since 2022. They paid $11 to get him from Grêmio, bought him from the noses of Brentford a player who's very, very exciting going forward, does have some issues defensively, but as a wing-back, they become less prevalent. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're considering actually, you know, looking into any of these players, Vanderson's a good one to bring up. Um, Friday, they play PSG. So if you want to have a look at basically him against the elite where you're going to want him to perform and how he does so, that's a, an opportune moment to, to take a look. Um presumably him and Hikimi on opposite flanks as well. So a direct comparison of who we're talking about. Uh, defensively, I think issues is right, but maybe more in terms of uh, awareness and and staying focused rather than actual technical defending, if you know what I mean. He's quite he's quite aggressive, decent tackle, a ball winner. Um, but maybe it's the being aware in the first place, which is you know knowing where he's got to be in transition play, especially, which is maybe where I'd pick up on him being under undercooked, let's say at the minute, but you know, he's only 22 and not that long for European football. 
that's the thing. He is very, very young. So there's plenty of time for him to correct any of those issues. Uh, next one then, Amar Dedic is interesting at, at Sporting, or sorry, at, at Salzburg, but he is much more of a defensive-minded player than these more wing-back type options. Um, and he's very versatile, can play all across the back line, including a centre-back. He is good on the ball. I just don't know how he'd adapt to playing as a wing-back. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll take your word on this because he's not on my radar. Salzburg is not a go-to these seasons for me. Next up then, I've got Dodo of Fiorentina. Um, another Brazilian, he was at Shakhtar. He left when all the nonsense started and he went to Fiorentina. He's been, I think, really good for them. Uh, another one who's obviously a lot better going forward than he is defending like Frimpong, he's very, very small. He's about 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, but as a wing-back, maybe less of an issue. Um, would he be one that you take a look at? I'd take a look, yeah. Um, I think we've probably named three I'd prefer ahead of him. Uh, probably the least consistent of the ones we've discussed so far, mm. at least from when I've been able to watch him, let's say. Um I do like the idea of a much more rapid, smaller, tricky outlet if we're playing wingbacks rather than the sort of powerful non-stop runner kind of approach. But again, that is going to depend an awful lot on the alignment of the centre-backs. You know, if we've got Kanate right-sided centre-backs, suddenly you can play a Frimpong type as wingback and not feel, um, you know, potentially overloaded in terms of physicality, aerials, that kind of thing. But if it's going to be, I don't know, just just for argument's sake, say Bradley moves inside to that position, obviously it's a very different kind of question. You know, if it's an Aspilicueta kind of right centre-back is what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. That is about it in terms of who I think are worth looking at. There's probably a couple of others that I've missed out on. Is there anyone else that, that comes to mind? I don't think there's anyone who specifically springs to mind other than, you know, looking at people like maybe, um, God, Gironas, um fullback has completely gone. Oh, Arna, Mart- Arna Martinez. And Martinez and also Yankoto has played right back for them as well oh, as yeah. right side. Um, but obviously City links there makes it a more difficult deal. I think, realistically, it, the other option is, you know, apart from people who we're not considering because they're young or off the radar or whatever, might be the converted right-sided midfielder. You know, if you've got a good outlet midfielder mm. who's, you know, works hard, we've seen it plenty of times before where maybe they play on the wing for their current club, but suddenly at a bigger team, they become the attacking fullback or a wingback in this case. So there's there's certainly scope for that to happen here. Um just for an example of who I'm talking about, you look at someone like Lucas Vazquez at Real Madrid, for example. He's not, I'm not talking about it buying him, but I'm talking about that profile of player who's always been a winger outlet and suddenly they start playing as an attacking fullback so he can run into that space, especially if it is a back three. Yeah, um, there's, there's two names that come, come to me for that. And they're both pretty young. They're actually both English as well. Uh, one is Jamie Beno-Gittens of of Dortmund, who I think you could convert. Obviously, he plays predominantly on the left as a, as a left winger, but he is, he is entirely right-footed. 
And I think you could maybe move him into that kind of role if you're going to give them like full license to get forward in, in the way that Alonso has to Frimpong this year. And the other was the other one is Samuel Elling Jr., uh, who's at Juve, who has experience playing in central midfield, has played all over the place, has actually played as a fullback this year for Juve in the underage groups. I wonder would somebody like that be of interest who you could turn into your own version of Frimpong rather than buying Frimpong outright? Yeah, yeah, it could well be the case. Um, I mean, like we've we've said about the two different managers who are deemed most popular anyway. Obviously, there's on the one hand, you might have a Alonso wants to work with somebody he already has who can come straight into that system and he knows what he's getting and that position is just boxed off and he doesn't have to worry about it. But if it's going to be a case where we do get the sporting director first and then the head coach is coming in, maybe a move ahead of time like this could be made. Um with a slightly more transitional kind of player that he gets to work with, since we already do have, like we say, Bradley, who we want to keep working with, and a few other players who we want to keep developing in that similar sort of way. So I think there are plenty of other options, even if we do go for, let's say, what has been a little bit of a Liverpool approach over the last few years. Let's say they decide, the, the hierarchy says, you know what, we think Conor Bradley can be the starter, but we need somebody else. There's always other people, whether they are backups, whether they are squad players, whether they are, more experienced players coming in um, who can do that role for a whole season, a number of games in the season and so on. Even if you say an unexpected move perhaps, but let's say Jao Cancelo has no option to go back to Man City mm-hmm. and Barca can't afford him. Is that someone we could go in for for that role? Because he's already proven he could be one of the very best from it. He'd be very interesting. He He's an exceptionally talented footballer. He'd be 30 this summer. So he wouldn't be a long-term signing, but I still think he's got a couple of really good years left in him. Um, he's been, I haven't watched a huge amount, but when I watched Barca, he's been pretty good for them. Um, and I always think he's he's much more suited to being a wing-back than a full-back because defensively he's just, well, he's crap. But he's great going forward and he's exceptionally talented on the ball. Like he's probably the most talented on the ball of any of them that we've mentioned today. Chances of us actually landing him from them, I suppose, slightly reduced if we beat them to the title. Yeah, although you you never know with Pep. Pep has an arrogance to him where he seems happy enough to sell players to rivals. And it's almost like a dismissive, oh, you can have him, but it's not going to make any difference. Like he did it with Arsenal with Jesus and Zinchenko. Just tried to have a look for when his runs out. I don't know if it's like 2017, 27, sorry. 26 or 27. I can see. Yeah, so he's still contract. got a long time left, yeah. Yeah, he has 27. Just, 27. So I can't just keep loading him out to Barcelona for another quarter of a decade. <laughs> Depends on the economic levers, I suppose. Um, he's, he's nailed on for a Juve loan at some point, isn't he? Yeah, he was at Juve before, and he was, by all accounts, very, very happy there. But when City came in, the offer was such that he couldn't turn it down. Um, when you go up and down the Premier League, there aren't a, a tremendous amount of right backs that you'd look at and think, "Oh yeah, I'd like a bit of him." Like I, I do, I do like Aaron Hickey at Brentford, but a he's injury prone, and b he's actually a left back. And he's much better as a left back than he is as a right back, but they have Rico Henry there. Um, 
I do quite like Nathan Patterson, but what's the difference between playing Nathan Patterson and playing Connor Bradley? They're in and around the same age, and they're in. I think Bradley's probably Bradley's probably more consistent. Bradley's already had a better game than Patterson has as well. Well, so. that's the thing. Um, what about- one player I would have loved would have been Malo Gusto, but <clears throat> obviously Chelsea picked him up already. Well, I mean, Chelsea may yet have to offload a few of them themselves, like we mentioned that one or two other clubs might do so. Um, and along the same lines, but with a much, much shorter contract, what about Denzel Dumfries? Like, not as refined, but as an attacking player, his productivity can be off the charts at times, and he's only got one year left on his deal. Yeah, he's he's rumoured to be in, in negotiations to extend his deal, but at the same time, he's been linked with moves away for, what, two years now? Yeah, about two years. He was linked heavily to Arsenal. He was linked heavily to United. It can't be nice when you keep seeing, well, let's say some of the names play ahead of you that that do so at Inter sometimes. Yeah, when he's quite clearly better than mm-hmm. than those players. I mean, he, he he can be a little bit headless at times. Yeah. Um. But I mean, depending on how how we want to play. If you, if you yeah. just want a straight line runner who can get your, get himself into favorable favorable positions and then will deliver from those positions, um, he's certainly one. You wouldn't want him, you know, picking the ball up sixty yards from goal and trying something intricate in that area. But get him into the final third, moving on to the ball at speed, and he can be a real handful. A few options as usual then, but I don't think that there's a single absolute standout candidate unless you just want yeah, dribbler, runner, really good creative outlet, and then it's probably just Frimpong because of the release. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like Frimpong, we know he suits Alonso because we're watching it right now. I think he would suit Amarim because I've seen Pedro Poro thrive under Amarim. So I, I think Frimpong probably is the is the standout candidate and, you know, 23 homegrown definitely has huge upside. I think he jumped at the move as well. I think he's spoken about it and said that it, it would be of interest to him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's definitely, definitely one I'd be, I'd be given strong consideration to. And like you said, the only other option really would be to convert someone into that role. So, you know, if, if, a right-sided midfielder or some right-footed left winger, depending on whether you want a passer or a you know a dribbler in that role. But uh, it'll certainly be interesting to to see what we do if if Trent does decide that he would like to move on, or if Trent is moved into midfield. I, I think that him moving into midfield is probably unlikely, given how both managers use their double pivot. I don't really see him as a fit in those roles. But, you know, he is down coming down to the last 12 months of his contract. And if he's not, we don't know, obviously, we don't know anything really. But if he's not going to sign a new deal, then we, we sort of do have to sell him because we can't afford to have him leave for nothing. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, no, for sure. That we've, we've, um, I think we've passed the point of the players who we can let leave for zero now. We've had too many of them arguably over the last five years mm. or so. And I think uh, what, one of the top three most valuable players that we've got in transfer market terms is yeah i mean real transfer market not the website yeah yeah no we, we, we'd have to we'd have to move him on right let's get into nottingham forest then so forest are having not a great season they sit 17th they are four points above the relegation drop zone but they are facing the near certainty of a points deduction having had a breach of profit and sustainability. Everton got 10 points. It was reduced to six on appeal. If we work with the idea that that's kind of what it's going to be, 10 may be reduced to six or just six and look, don't appeal it, just fucking accept it. They'd be two points behind Luton. I would back them to pick up two points more than Luton across the remainder of the season. But if it is 10 points, I wouldn't, I wouldn't back them to overcome Luton with a six-point disadvantage, being completely honest with you. Um, what have you made of Forrest this year? Because they, there's been times, like early in the season, they, they looked like they were getting to grips with what the Premier League was going to be. And then they went on a long run of defeats. Then they sacked Steve Cooper. Uh, they've brought in Nuno. And there's been some pickup in the results. Um, and by that, I mean they've won one game in the league. No, sorry, they've won three games in the league under Nuno. Three under Nuno, to be fair to him. Um, but they, you know, they still don't have any consistency about them. Yeah, agreed. I'm, I'm not a huge Nuno fan, I've got to be honest. Um, I do think he should be able to set up Forrest in a way, well, you know, his setup, which should be enough to get them over the line. Um, I just don't think that he is adventurous enough, especially for the players that they've got. Um, it's almost a case at Forest that they have too many players still, which is a bit of a holdover from last year. 
Um, and it's very difficult, not just to get a separate side, but to choose the ones who are playing well, but also work well in your system, if you know what I mean. Like, I think Gibbs White has to be in the team because he's so good. Um, a one E is probably their best focal point, but then there's been such a struggle to find who is the third one to go with them that he's had to go away from the the three five two and go to a four two three one over the last few games. I think that that's better balanced for them, but then I think that they also then lack the defensive cover because they've purposely bought wing backs because most of their defenders are used to playing in a three for sure. If they get enough of a partnership between, say, Niakate and uh, Murillo, I, th- I think I-, I continue to think Forrest are best served by never playing Felipe again, but they seem intent on doing so. But if they can get enough of a centre-back partnership over you know, 10 games or so, then I think there's enough talent there to stay up by quite a long way. And I think hudson Adoy is like one of the ones who's really finding, not his best, but certainly good rhythm after getting some game time finally because it's been so long for him without it. Um, I, I just see there's enough of a good team there to stay up easily. But mm. it's such a mix-up. It's always such a juggling act almost that any kind of cohesion becomes very difficult to find. There's, there's no cohesion to be had really at Nottingham Forest since their promotion. Last summer, 2022, when they arrived into the division, they signed like 75 players. And then they signed a bunch more in January. And then you got to this summer and up until the 31st of August, they had signed Matt Turner from Arsenal, Anthony Alanga, Ola Aina, and Chris Wood, who'd come in on loan with an obligation to buy in the January that they had to do. So you're only really looking at three new arrivals. And then all of a sudden, in the span of 24 hours, they signed Murillo, Nicholas Dominguez, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Odysseus Vlacodimos, Ibrahim Sanger, and Andrew Omabamadeli. Now, individually, I really like five of those players. The goalkeeper, I just, he's just, he's okay. But the other five, I really like. But it's this thing of doing everything at the last minute. Those players get no preseason with the club and they're just parachuted in. And the manager's then expected to make it work, having had no time, having spent the summer working with one group of players. Now he's been handed, you know, six new ones. And you would argue that Murillo, Dominguez, in fact, you could argue that all of them would have arrived with the expectation of starting and may well have been sold on the move by the, the promise of starting. It's just such a strange way to go about your business. I don't really understand what it is that Nottingham Forest do. Why Why weren't these players signed a week, two weeks, three weeks earlier? Because there's not one of them who wasn't being linked with a move away from the club they were at for the entirety of the summer. And again, they're all good players. The the goalkeeper's just okay, but the rest of them are all good players. But it's just, you know, why didn't you sign them in July? Why did you wait till deadline day to get these players in? What do you think of Daniel and Dominguez as a midfield partnership? The two have been playing the last few games together as as a pivot. 
I'm a big fan of Daniil. I've always been a big fan since he was at Palmeiras. And I think he makes, I think he can make any pairing work. I think one of the, the one of the big mistakes Steve Cooper made was trying to use him further forward. It was like when we signed Nuri Sahin and, Yuri, and, and Brendan Rodgers tried to make him into a 10. It's a different type of player, but he's so much better deeper where he can really impact the game and he's outstanding off the ball. Dominguez in a double pivot, I'm not hugely keen on. Now, in a back three, it's different, obviously, than in a back four. I'd really like those two either side of Sanger in a midfield three. I think as a functional midfield three, that would give you a very similar vibe to what we had under Jürgen for many years, that functional midfield three who get through a shit ton of work, protect you defensively, and can offer bits and bobs going forward. As a two, I mean, again, with wing-backs, it's, it's, it's okay, but if they're left just as a double pivot in front of a back four, I'm not massively keen, because I still think there's a bit too much space. Because Dominguez has some strong attacking instincts, he does want to get forward. And even if it's a thing where he doesn't get all the way forward, he'll often wander into like into half spaces and stand watching and not be kind of in the moment and aware of what's behind him. And we see Forrest get countered down his side a little bit too often for my liking. But if you put him in a three and you can give him that license to get forward and Sanger can cheat across and cover for him, that I think could be a really good midfield. I don't really get Sangari not playing at all. I'll be honest. I think he's one who just has to be in. And I Especially like after that. they sold Mangala. I assume yeah. the reason for selling Mangala was because, well, we have Sangare, so we don't really need Mangala anymore. Yeah, I'm not really sure. There's, like, like I said, it is always difficult when you have so many players and a bit of a juggling act. And then, you know, even like um, Omar Bamadeli, I think he's a really good player. And I can kind of understand that maybe he doesn't be a starter this season. But then when you go to a back four and you're still playing your wing backs, I, I thought maybe even he was the type of one who could fill in as the right back, where he's obviously played quite a bit for Norwich. Yeah. Um, and then you've got a bit more of a defensive solidity there. But it, it maybe even if it was just for the away games or something like that. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I appreciate that it's a very difficult thing for Nuno to do or for whichever manager to come in. Such a big squad. You try and get them to play a slightly different way. Obviously, results haven't been good. That's why you're sort of parachuted in. So it is a, a very difficult thing to immediately, you know, at this stage of the season especially, select what is basically 16, 17 players who you're going to turn to all the time. Yeah. But that is what he needs to do, you know, especially in terms of, like I say, the centre-backs and your centre-mids. And then to an extent, your attackers, you can sort of chop and change one each game if you need according to form or whatever. But you really, really do need that that base if you're going to not lose enough games to stay up. And, like, it's a funny thing at the moment. They're playing, like, they're playing the back four at the moment. And the problem they have is that their two best centre-backs are Murillo and Niakate, who are both left-footed. And as Guy will be quick to tell everybody, you can't play two left-footed centre-backs. So they have used Niakata as a left-back in some games 
and they're having him slide across so that in possession, it's a back three and then they launch Nico Williams forward down the right as a right wing back and hudson Adoy or whoever's playing left wing, it could sometimes be Alanga, is almost forming the left wing back side of it. The problem I have, and I watched a lot of Forest last year, and every time I watched them, I watched Felipe and thought, you are an absolute liability here. Just like you were at Atleti, you are a liability here, except now you're slower. And yet, he was getting huge amounts of praise from people who should know better. And I think it was because he arrived in January and things picked up for them in the second half of the season. But, you know, he's still starting regularly. And I still think he's a liability. He's slow. He's a little rash. He does bizarre things. Like, you'll see him step out of the back line to press a ball that doesn't need to be pressed. Like, there was a moment in the United game. I think it was the United, yeah, the United game in the Cup, wasn't it? where Bruno Fernandes picks the ball up and turns to go back and recycle the ball. And for absolutely no reason, Felipe steps out to press him. He's already playing the ball back. He's already turned away from you. You don't need to do that. Leave that to your midfielder, especially in the position he's in. But all of a sudden, he's caught 10 yards out of position. And if that was against a better team, and there's a lot of better teams than United, they're playing that ball into that space and the left winger's cutting in behind your fullback. And all of a sudden there's going to be a chance and it's your fault because you're not where you should be. And he does that kind of stuff over and over and over again. And I, I do just wonder, would they be better off just playing the two left footers at, at centre-back and maybe playing Oma Bamadeli at right-back and shifting the other way? So that when they, if they want to move into a three in possession, Oman Babadelli is the right side centre back, Murillo's the left one, and Nia Cathy is the middle one. And then you can play an attacking left back, maybe Nuno Tavares or whoever it is that they have there, Harry Tofolo, um, and, and pulling the right winger back. Because it just, I don't know, like it's bad enough that your goalkeeping situation is what it is. You spent a decent amount of money to bring in three, la- three lads and none of them have proven to be good enough so far. And then you're weakening your defence with Felipe. It, that's, to me, just you're setting yourself off on the wrong foot. I mean, the other thing I would mention is that Forrester creating quite a lot of chances, scoring quite a few goals recently. I also note though, that they are not necessarily always conceding loads of shots or even high volume or high quality shots, but conceding lots. Uh, and I, I've not seen all of their games. I've not even gone back and watched all of the goals. I've just sort of while we're going through this, have a look back. Newcastle scored three times from seven shots and an XG of 0.48. Not really sure what's happened there, whether they were screamers or whatever. I didn't see that game. I know it was a good game, but uh, I haven't watched that one back. Arsenal beat them uh, 2-1. They had a lot of shots, but not great quality chances. Um, Bournemouth only took nine shots. If you're if you're not if you're not stopping outrageously good attacking teams from having you know a few chances, that's fine. But if you're not stopping mediocre teams who you should be taking a point or three points off at times, 
from scoring quite a few goals from not even that many chances, not even very good chances, seemingly. Not really sure what's... Like you just say about signing three different goalkeepers there. Mm. I don't think Matt Sells is very good. Like I've never thought Matt Sells is very no. good. I'm not really sure what he's even doing there. I think Turner is okay, even if he's not very good. But Sells, I, I think, is an actively quite poor goalkeeper, to be perfectly honest. So, um, and they were linked with good goalkeepers in the window as well. well they've oh, had a couple of good goalkeepers as well. They had Madden yeah. last year. They had Henderson, obviously, for the season because of injuries and all that. Didn't quite go to plan, but they've, they've had five new goalkeepers in two years in the Premier League. It's not ideal, is it? No. No, and that's the thing. I'm like, Dean Henderson moved in the summer. He was available. You could have gone and bought him, but you let him go to Palace. And, you know, like, I'm I'm sure Kaylor Navas is available. I'm sure he'd love to play a game of football. And, you know, he'd been there. He seemed happy there last year. And, you know, look, we, we would have sold Queeving Kelleher in the summer if there was a good enough offer. But again, they, they never even looked. They went, they went and bought Matt Turner and the, the Greek chap. And they spent, I think, about fourteen million on the two of them. Like, wouldn't you have been better off coming and offering Liverpool twenty for Kelleher, twenty and maybe add-ons? And I'm sure there was a deal there to be worked, but they just like it's a really bizarre approach to such an important position. And like you said, five goalkeepers in two well, not even two full seasons in the Premier League this season. Turner has played 20 games. The Greek chap, uh, Odysseus, has played seven. Came in, looked good to begin with, then fell off a cliff. And Matt Sells, as you said, it just isn't... He's not very good. He just isn't very good. I didn't really understand the decision to go and get him. It's not like you got him for nothing either. So, yeah, just really bizarre. And now you're back to Matt Turner, who... You haven't exactly shown a ton of faith in you. You bought a goalkeeper on deadline day in the summer because Matt Turner had started the season very, very shakily. Then you went in January and bought another goalkeeper. Like that's, you're basically telling Matt Turner, we're trying to replace you here, but you're back to him. It's just very, very messy. And that's such an important position that you, you have to have stability in there. You have to have a consistent presence because as we always say, like, so much of this is just about partnerships and understanding. It's the same mess and it's at centre-back. They've had seven or eight different partnerships at centre-back and they haven't settled on one. When when Oma Bamadeli and Murillo got a little run together, I think they got three games together. I think they won one, drew one and lost one and that. I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm almost certain it was one win, one draw, one loss. But the pair of them were beginning to build an understanding. And then they go away from that and they bring in Felipe into the team. And then it's Felipe and Murillo or it's Felipe and Niakata or it's Niakata and Murillo. Earlier in the season, we had like Joe Worrell playing and all these other centre-backs that are there. You know, like Willie uh, Willy Bolly has played a whole bunch. There's a far too much Willie Bolly. Any Willie Bolly is too much Willie Bolly, but he's played a bunch. Uh, uh, what's his name? The midfielder. Uh, Coyate's played at centre-back for them this year. Like you just can't have that instability in those positions. And the same in midfield. Like They've got a lot of midfielders there. But 
you're constantly seeing all these different partnerships. Like you mentioned Dominguez and Danilo. We've seen Dominguez and Mangala. We've seen Dominguez with Ryan Yates. We've seen all these different combinations and they just haven't settled on one. Now there's been injuries, there's been whatever. I get that. But you've you've got to find a base that's going to at least be reliable and not lose you games. A good, strong defensive base that can maybe limit opponents to one goal. And then you just need one for a draw, two for a win. And you're not having to score three and four goals to win games because they do have attacking talent. Like there's some really, really fun players to watch here. Like Tewawani is is great to watch. Chris Wood's having a pretty decent season for them. I love Morgan Gibbs-White. I think he's outstanding. You've got Gio Reyna in the door now. I really like Callum Hudson-Odoi. I think Alanga's quite good. But stop requiring them to score three goals just to get you a win, two goals just to get you a point. Build a defensive base and then let those lads go and, you know, score one for a draw, two for a win. But not this weekend. No, not this weekend. No, <laughs> this weekend I want to see lots of Willy Bolly. Uh, I want to see maybe Felipe playing by himself at centre back. That could be yeah, quite no. good. Yeah, and Ryan Yates as the sole DM. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, especially after like fifty minutes when Ryan Yates tends to have broken both legs, fractured his neck, and look like he's just been through the the landing at Normandy or something. Uh, that's the Ryan Yates I want out there. Um, we have had an update in terms of availability. Jurgen Klopp says Darwin Nunes and Dominic Zabozlai are back in training and in contention to face Andy Ro- to face Forrest. Both Waturo Endo and Andy Robertson also set to train today. So that's really good news. Now, there's nothing on Mo there. So I think we can just assume that Mo isn't going to be ready for this weekend. Yeah, he said Mo's not far off, but he won't reach tomorrow. Okay, so look, getting Darwin and Dominic back is massive. Mm. So if we can go in with the midfield of Dar- of Dominic, Endo, and Alexis, and then in attack, we have, I guess, Harvey, Darwin and Diaz, or or maybe Diaz right side, Gakbo left side, and Darwin through the middle. That's a pretty strong midfield and attack to go in and win this game with because we know the defense is going to be strong mm. because Ibu and Virgil will be there. Rob will be back in, you'd imagine at left back, and then right back will I would guess be Connor Bradley. Yes, Bradley. Um I I, I Personally, I'd be surprised if Sobosai starts. I think after the re-injury, you know, the, the same injury, I think you've got to be, I'm sure they have been very carefully, otherwise he'd have been brushed back for the final, wouldn't he? But I'd still be fairly surprised to see him in the lineup. And also, I don't want to say it's only Forrest, but given it is one of the Premier League's lesser sides, but also a technical lesser side rather than just a, a rough you up kind of side. If it was Everton, I wouldn't be saying this, but I would I wouldn't mind Bobby Clark starting this game. Yeah. 
I think Bobby oh. Clark would handle Nottingham Forest perfectly comfortably, to be honest. I can so get on board with that, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Bobby, Bobby Clark, right side of midfield. Yeah, Endo, Alexis, and Clark. Yeah, yeah, I think I can definitely get on board with that. And you know, maybe we give Dominic twenty-five yeah, minutes, and then you because the game you need him for is next weekend. Yeah, yeah. So Ali Bradley is Joe yeah. Gomez now the definitely most unfortunate. Is or not Ali? Sorry, Kelleher, yeah. uh, Bradley, Ebu, Virgil, Robbo. You assume uh, Clark, Endo. Alexis, as long as Endo and Alexis are there, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with anybody being the third one. Um, what would you do in attack, though? That's because Harvey Elliott has put in some epic shifts over the last three games, and he looks exhausted. Yeah, um, I'd be inclined Darwin, to go with Diaz and and Gakpo either side of Darwin personally. Yeah, uh, I, I I think I probably would as well, just on. Um, fitness perspectives like Darwin I'm assuming is fine because it was only supposed to be a tiny precaution in the first place and then Mm. we saw him hurdling at Wembley so he looks fine (laughs) so let's assume he's good for an hour so yes I would probably go with him and it's it's quite a a big powerful attack I know Cody doesn't use that attack but this is my real frustration with Gakpo because we saw in the last five minutes against Southampton that A he can win the ball B he is physical and mm. see when he feels like it, he can do it. That's what really annoys me. Yeah. He doesn't do it all the way through the game. Yeah. Um, because that that is not a moment against championship people. That's a moment against senior adult footballers. And they were trying yeah, to hack him down. Premier goals. League defenders. Yeah. And for him to do that, just off the cuff, 86 minutes into a game, really riles me up that he doesn't do it five minutes into a game. I, I mm. hate that kind of thing. So... Yes, play Gakpo, but that's what we need to be getting from him all game long, like Diaz does, like he's obviously capable of because he's just yeah. done it. Yeah. Someone needs to sit him down in front of a mirror with the tape measure and go, look, you're six foot four. You've got big, broad shoulders. You're strong as an ox. Why do you play so passively? Is the biggest gripe I have with both of the Dutch lads him and Gravenberg, is that they play much smaller than their size. And we've seen both of them use their size and it just make it absolutely embarrass other players because they're actually really strong. There's the, the Gravenberg moment in the Brentford game when he played it to Salah for the Alexis goal, just like properly dropped his shoulder in and bounced the defender off him and gave himself enough space to to feed the ball to Mo. That's what we want to see. Do that from the first minute. None of this fucking soft shit. Get yourself in. You're much bigger than these lads. Go in and bully them. Why can't you do that on a regular basis? That's that's the one gripe I have. But like you said, um, Cody's more than capable of doing it. And we saw that against you know, not good Premier League defenders, but proven Premier League defenders who've played a long time in the division. Uh, We're in that Southampton defence. So the last thing then, you said Darwin for, um, was it for 60 minutes, you said? Yeah, about that. So you'd assume then Jaden Dans comes on. Or Uh, Elliot, and we move one of the others back to the centre, yeah. Yeah, now just just for the purpose of... uh, 
of being accurate with this. Uh, Jaden Dans entered the field against against Southampton on 63 and scored two goals. So if we're bringing him on for half an hour in this one, that'll be another two goals for Jaden Dans, keeping up his um, incredible record. So that's fine. We can be, you know, two or three nil up, and then he'll come on and get the, the fourth and fifth goals, and that's ideal for everybody. But yeah, I think that's a pretty strong team. So what's your prediction? I'm going to go for three nil plus Dans. So whatever Dans does is additional. I like it. I like it. I'll go 3-0 inclusive of Dan's. Inclusive of Dan's. I, th- I think if he gets an opportunity in this one off the bench, I think he might score again because his his movement and his anticipation in the box is the type of thing that causes Nottingham Forest problems. But I also think... 2-1? I think 3-1 plus three. whatever Dan's does off the bench. Okay, I'll go three nil. Right. I, I actually, do you know what? I'll go. No, I'll just stick with three. Now I was going to say I, I was going to say I'll go three one as well, but I'll go three nil. I'll back us to keep a clean sheet, um, even though Awaniye is an absolute nightmare to play against. But we will leave it there. Is there anything you want to plug before we go? No, um, that's all good. Cool. Right. Well, you go and enjoy the rest of your day moving house. And I will talk to you soon. Take care of yourself. Bye, folks. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.